Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. I want to, before we start, I just want to give you an idea of how to live a longer and healthier life. If you didn't have a chance to listen to yesterday's program, I spent the entire program talking about what to take into your body to help you with neurological conditions. This was based upon a clinical study that I conducted along with Dr. Martin Feldman, one of America's leading neurologists, and it was a non-medical based study, meaning you had to have neurological symptoms for years, be under medical treatment, you had to have a doctor's a letter showing that you were non-responsive meaning it was continuing to get worse, your multiple sclerosis, your ALS, your Alzheimer's dementia, memory loss, depression, anxiety. And over three months, with following a lifestyle and positive attitude and de-stressing and exercise and proper supplementation and the meaning and purpose of life, the individuals were able to have substantial improvements. In many cases, complete reversal. And we followed these people for a year so it wasn't as if they benefited during the study, then they went back into an unhealthy lifespan, and then their conditions reverted back. And that was published in the National Library of Medicine's PubMed in a major article in a highly respected scientific publication. So it met the criteria, and, uh, and they all had medical exams before. Now, the whole way that that worked was it was not monotheistic because we tend to live very monotheistic lives. We tend to believe in something to the exclusion of anything else. What do I mean? I mean that it's very difficult for people to believe in two things at the same time with equal intensity. Meaning, I want to be healthy, but I want to eat junk foods. I, I want to save my money and be responsible for that rainy day. I don't want to buy more than what I can afford so I don't end up in debt and stress. But then I'm compulsive to buy things that I don't necessarily need. I may want them, but I don't need them. And now I have that debt. Now I'm stressed. So if you're the average person, ask yourself, how often do you find yourself in this conundrum? You want A, but your actions create B. But then you think of yourself as, I'm healthy. I listen to the Gary Knoll show, have for decades then why aren't you healthy? Well, I listen. It doesn't mean I apply everything. What do you apply? Well, I listen to Gary every day for 40 years. By the way, this is a true story. A woman listens to me faithfully and talks about the show and uh, every, every day for 45 years. I've been on WBAI coming up on in just another month and a half for 48 years on one radio station, making it the longest daily radio program on a single station in American history. Now, I meet the woman because she has questions about health. And uh, when I was last in New York, and she drove along with 4,000 plus people from this audience up to, to Kensington, where Gerald Slante was putting on a, a peace rally. And uh, Scott Ritter, myself, and uh, Judge Napolitano were the keynote speakers. And... Uh, and I was answering people's questions all afternoon. But I looked at the woman and I said, you listen to me for 45 years? Yes, every day. Well, tell me the things you do that, are, that you apply into your life from what I share. And she said, well, every single day I take 500 milligrams of vitamin C in the morning. Good. What else? Well, you know, that's, you know, that's something. I said, yes, it is, but the diet was very unhealthy, didn't exercise, was morbidly obese, weighed about 300 pounds, and, uh, but this is what I'm talking about. This is part of the cognitive disconnect in our society, is we only do that which doesn't create discomfort or disjoint us from our previous single-minded beliefs. So if a person is used to having something sweet, like a dessert, when they're stressed, then it doesn't matter if they don't want to be overweight or have diabetes or metabolic syndrome or heart disease or depression. You have to get to the underlying core. What's really wrong? That's where we begin our journey. So 
Every day I try to share pieces of the puzzle. So don't assume because I'm saying in this study, if you take vitamin D3, you have less likelihood of having a major skin cancer, squamous cell carcinoma, or melanoma, uh, or basal cell. Basal cell cancer is not the worst kind. Basal cell carcinoma, but you start getting squamous cell is not the worst, but melanoma is. And those who had vitamin D3 had less of it. But also vitamin D3 helps protect you, your immune system. And it has multiple uses in the body. So the more antioxidants you have from supplementation and eating foods and having juices, the better it is. And yet it's fully understandable. And we all have compassion for people who, well, they'll watch a television commercial a thousand times. You see different commercials for pharmaceutical drugs. And so now you have hay fever, or you have a little arthritis flare-up, or you have some digestive problems, or you're not getting the right sleep. So you think nothing about, oh, I'll take that, I'll take that drug that allows me to sleep, or dries up my nose so I don't run. Okay, did you pay attention to the side effects? Death, stroke, heart attack? No, I, I didn't pay attention to that. But And then we're indoctrinated. For example... How many times have you seen a commercial where there's someone selling tequila or an alcoholic beverage and they're always young and attractive and perfectly groomed and smiling with perfectly white teeth and, and, uh, but they never tell you what happens when that alcohol goes in the body. First of all, it's bitter and under normal circumstance, you'd never drink an alcoholic beverage. I don't care if it's a red wine. There's no bouquet of, you know, effervescent quality. No, it's just fermented grapes. It's a fermented product and it has alcohol and tequila and gin and vodka. And then it's the allure of what kind of vodka? Well, they all taste the same. <laughs> so you want a cheap bottle because it's going to do the same thing as the $700 bottle, but it's the illusion that you're doing something unique. No, you're killing yourself. And so when was the last time the Surgeon General or the U.S. Public Health Service uh, had a commercial saying, here are the beverages that you should have. Fresh orange juice, grapefruit juice. Roll a lemon with your fist, of organic lemon in the morning, and squeeze that into a glass of half warm water and the other half coconut water. That's a good way to start the day and realkalize your blood, and it'll help reduce the pain in your joints. They don't say that. But they will tell you, you know, take this sugary cereal or take this fried bacon. And so we are conditioned more so than we seek independent affirmation that what we're doing is right by example. So even when you're getting overweight, when your blood pressure is rising, when your blood sugar is rising, when you're feeling bad, we won't look at what's causing it. We'll look at how to take away the symptoms. So please use the information on this program as a guide, realizing that nothing is ever settled on the science. It's always expanding. And the there's so much good information we can use if we choose to. I just want to share that to you because we have a lot of new listeners and I just want to let them know how we're thinking. Now, our next study comes from Ben-Gurion University of the Negva in Israel. And it's about the green Mediterranean diet is twice as effective at preventing blood vessel stiffness. Now, what you don't want is arterial sclerosis because it's a stiffening, hardening, a calcification of your arteries, and that means blood flows uh, more with more difficulty through them. You want soft and pliable and clean and open and non-damaged epithelium, the inner lining of the arteries, less likely to have a clot. So the study shows that a greener version, meaning lots more vegetables in the Mediterranean diet, may even be better for your vascular health than the original dieting craze. And researchers have found that this plant-based version of the Mediterranean diet, what I've been advocating my entire career, is twice as effective in combating and reducing the dangers of life-threatening blood vessel stiffness. All right, so, and this was an 18-month trial of 300 people, and they really enhanced their polyphenols. That's what you get when you're eating green vegetables. And uh, there was a 15% reduction in blood vessel stiffness. That's terrific compared to the traditional Mediterranean diet, which was 7%. So the original Mediterranean diet was good, 
but the more greens, hence more arugula, watercress, kale, spinach, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, asparagus into the diet. Now, the University of Bath and the University of Bristol show that coming off antidepressants can trigger emotional and social difficulties alongside physical withdrawal symptoms. I was the head of addiction control at Trafalgar Hospital for many years. And I was allowed to be the head because all the previous efforts of getting people off drugs didn't work. And uh, there was about a 95% more or less recidivism rate of going back on the substance they were abusing. And so what I did was I detoxified them and helped with the central nervous system and helped, helped give the body energy without a hyperkinetic reaction. And by giving theanine and 5-hydroxychloroquine, uh, tryptophan, and giving glutamine and all these other nutrients plus a healthy diet and weaning them off caffeine and sugar, we had a very high success rate, probably in the neighborhood of around 90%. And there's no drug addiction or interdiction program that has that. So there are ways of helping a person get off antidepressants, the Orthomolecular Psychiatric Association, and uh, that involved, uh, let's say there was Dr. Abram Hoffer, there was Dr. Um, Linus Pauling. There were a group of physicians who found that a lot of psychiatric conditions could be helped, reversed, if you had an orthomolecular approach. So just look up on the internet, Orthomolecular Association, and I published with them, I've counseled with them, I've given them protocols, and follow those if you're trying to get off antidepressants and also get yourself into the hands of a good, qualified, more holistic uh, neurologist or psychiatrist. And they're out there, and they can also help you not trigger physical symptoms like restlessness, fatigue, and excessive sweating when you're getting off the, especially Prozac and effects are really difficult. And finally, from the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil, a 30-minute walk, including a treadmill, at moderate intensity temporarily reduces blood pressure in women with rheumatoid arthritis, not only at rest, but also under stress. This is a conclusion drawn from a study involving physical and cognitive tests conducted at the university. So, if you have rheumatoid arthritis and you also tend to have high blood pressure, which frequently goes hand in hand, and that means you have a risk of death from cardiovascular disease 50% higher than the general population. So it's not something to not pay attention to if you exercised aerobically, went out and did that power walk. That can make a huge difference. So if you have any form of auto-inflammatory diseases like lupus, uh, arthritis, inflammatory my- myopia, juvenile lupus, then make sure you're doing this every single day. Oh, and by the way, from Rohr University in Germany, capsaicin, C-A-P-S-A-I-C-I-N, or red pepper, the molecules inhibit the growth of breast cancer cells. That's according to the latest study out there. So, one more reason to take one more piece of the puzzle, red pepper, and put it in your stews, your soup, your brown rice, And that's what we have now on health and nutrition. We're going to take a break and come back with a lot of empowering information. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. By the way, just a quick reminder. If you have not yet signed up for the Gary Nall newsletter, now's the time. Just go to GaryNall.com, scroll down to newsletter, and sign up. There's two ways you sign up. You pay a very small fee, and I think it's 7 or $8 a month. And every day, five days a week, you get it at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, you get the newsletter. Or you can sign up and get one newsletter per week for free. But here's the difference. You're going to be reading brand new chapters from my book. You're going to see the first people to see my new documentaries. You're going to have special gifts and discounts beyond what anyone else has on products and, and CDs and books and webinars. In fact, I'm going to allow people who have signed up to attend my webinar without fee. So 
there's a huge benefit to signing up and such a tiny expense. So anyhow, go to that, because I'm doing a lot of original commentaries and putting them on the newsletter. Now, most of the people in this audience I know believe in freedom of speech. We believe in freedom of assembly. We believe in freedom of religion. We believe in the freedom to make our choices without uh, duress, threats, intimidation. My mind, my choice. My body, my choice. But that's not always true, even in the United States. There are places in the United States, in California, where there's legislation either proposed or in place that would punish you based upon how they might interpret your speech as uh, a violation of normal speech, calling it hate speech. But hold on. In the United States, speech is protected. Even speech we don't like, vulgar speech is protected. But now Great Britain has imprisoned over 3,000 people, arrested them for the speech that they don't like. Say anything at all about the Israeli conflict, and if you're not supporting Israel, they can now consider that anti-Semitic speech, and hence hate speech. Now, Ireland is trying to pass a new law that would allow the police to get a warrant, come into your house, and look on your computer. And if you have an article about any issue that they don't like, they could call that hate speech, and you could be arrested and put in jail and fined. Let's take a look at this interview. It's a short interview, only seven minutes, but it gets to the point. This is, uh, this is redacted, the Morrises interviewing a professor from Ireland who's showing how dangerous this new law is. And this is the kind of law that small groups with powerful people behind the scenes like the George Soros's who promotes stuff that you didn't even know he was spending money on, you didn't know how all these, these illiberal uh, district attorneys and prosecutors in Philadelphia and, and, and uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Atlanta, well, he backed them, but you didn't know it. I didn't know it. And now we see the consequences. Rampant, out-of-control stealing and all other forms of, of uh, problems in the cities, ghettoizing the cities. This could happen here. Let's go to the clip. Well, free speech is the hallmark of any democracy. Ireland, though, is looking to end free speech with a new hate speech bill, which would, among other things, potentially get you arrested if you're caught with a meme or a cartoon or any content that the government deems uh, it rises to the level of being hate speech. And actually, they haven't really even defined what that means, so we don't even know. But my wife sends me memes all the time. I guess if I'm an Irish citizen, I, of course, could then be potentially arrested under this law that's deemed hateful by the Irish government. Elon Musk said this yesterday about Ireland's law and posted this on X. Destroying freedom of speech means destroying democracy. Here's a group that released this new ad and this new video speaking out against this bill. Take a look. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next month, next month, and then this law the will next have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. Well, David Thunder is Irish. That's not all he has going for him. He's very, very smart as well. He's a researcher, a lecturer in political philosophy, and he joins me now from Ireland. Uh, David, welcome back to the show. Is Ireland a democracy any longer, or is it slipping away from democracy as we speak? I would say that Ireland is, unfortunately, under the current government, um, is slipping towards what I would call an oligarchy or ruled by elite rather than ruled by the people. Um, the current government um, seems to be completely out of touch with what people want, what their interests are. And this hate speech bill is a perfect example because there was no popular demand for uh, this radical and draconian piece of legislation. 
the government just decided to just push it through um, in spite of the fact that the majority of submissions from the public were actually against the bill. Why? Why would they push this through? I mean, where is this coming from? So I'm always curious when suddenly we see this big push for legislation in a country and the Irish people are not asking for this. Where is it coming from? Have you been able to track this down? Well, there are two places that it's coming from, in my opinion. One is from the uh, European Union, because there's a 2008 Council Framework decision on combating certain forms and expressions of racism and xenophobia by means of criminal law, which obligates member states to criminalize hate speech um, and, and, and also to criminalize the denial of genocide. So uh, they're acting under this framework decision, which is binding upon member states. So that's the first thing. Um, that, that particular framework decision did not obligate them to introduce the category of gender as a protected category. That's not coming from the European Union. And I would suggest that this redefinition of gender is coming from the trans lobby. Um, it's clear that the government is responding more to lobbies than to popular demand. Um, and we know this for a long time, that the gov all governments operate under, the, under pressure from lobby groups. Um, but the Irish government in particular, I'm at a loss to explain why they would radicalize the definition of gender unless it's under, under the influence of uh, trans lobbies. Yeah is, yeah, is the trans lobby so massive? I mean, who's, who's, who's financial? I always want to know where the money is, right? Who's financially supporting this massive trans lobby, so much so that they're creating legislation that would have you arrested if you have some sort of meme or cartoon on your phone that would rise to the level that would really upset this trans group? Like, where is this money coming from? Well, that's a great, that's a great, great question. Um, my understanding is that these self-styled progressive groups, I consider them regressive, but they would self self present as progressive, um, are from the government. They actually receive money, uh, funds, grants from the Irish government. Uh, the Irish government gives millions and millions every year to NGOs, um, including progressive NGOs. And, um, and, and also there are uh, very large international foundations like the George Soros, I understand the Soros Foundation, helps to fund some of these um, kind of progressive uh, lobby groups and NGOs. So probably if you did a paper trail, you'd probably find money coming from very interesting sources. I swear to God, every time I ask that question, I'm always, I'm never surprised to hear George Soros's name pop up on a regular basis with, with these groups and these, anytime you see these organized protests, you see these you know these groups shut, showing up on Capitol steps, and they're they're moving towards this. George Soros's name is always somehow tied to it. I'm curious though the other side of this. We showed you we showed you a video here, which Elon Musk retweeted yesterday or reposted yesterday. It's what we just showed you here on the show. I'm kind of stunned that there seems to be some sort of an effort. I don't know if it's grassroots or not, but to try to put a stop to this in Ireland. What do you make of the resistance group? Uh, or the resistance movement there in Ireland against this? Well, I think that it's genuinely grassroots in the sense that I don't think that there's like massive, massive money coming in from the United States to support the cause each. Um, and, and certainly I don't think the government is actively funding, you know, pro-free speech groups. Uh, so uh, my, my, my sense is that it, it's a genuinely... Uh, very authentically doesn't have any members and I think they're making a disproportionate impact compared with their actual size and I've cooperated with them in some capacity in the past um, and there are a number of members of, of the parliament um, and of the senate who have come out strongly against this legislation so it's very much a minority let's say a minority report if you will uh, among the more influential actors, it's a minority who are coming out against this. Um, but the thing is, I think that the, 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 the argument, the case against this hate speech legislation is so powerful at a common sense level that, uh, that I actually think that 
in a way, it should resonate with a lot of people of, of goodwill. Um, because, I mean, who wants to have their home raided because they have an article sitting on their hard drive that somebody thinks could offend somebody out there? I mean, it's so obviously wrong and so illiberal and regressive to give, allow the police to get a warrant to raid your property because of something you haven't even published. That can happen here if we don't pay attention. When you have a radicalized group who are so far out of the sphere of normalcy, but they want to make sure that you say nothing, you do nothing, you represent nothing that could cause them to be offended, then they're going to make their, their entire life about making sure that that doesn't happen. And so there's censorship, and then there's repression. And then if they get into political office on a local school board, uh, or they get into a legislative position, now they have the power to punish people. And I don't want to see that happen in the United States. Oh, and by the way, a brand new study out, and we'll, we'll go to it in a few minutes, shows that young people, young people are not being hired because employers are saying enough of this nonsense. We're not going to hire you because you feel that you're important and you deserve a raise before you even started work. And you can come in at any hour you want, leave whenever you want, watch porn or whatever you want to watch all day. And somehow we should all tolerate this nonsense. The time for being patient with this type of absurd behavior is over. Push back, people. I've written over 60 commentaries. I go on the record. I put myself out there going after the new racist. And the new racist, they're just, they're reprehensible in their lack of honesty about history and about the evolution of people through travesties and crisis to where we are today. They've given no credit to anyone who's overcome any obstacle. They're still living as if everyone is repressed, if you're a minority, and everyone who is not a minority uh, is the oppressor. When are we going to say, th this, this is stupid, and I'm not going to trust you, I'm not going to believe you, and then push back, because that's what's happening. Finally, people are pushing back. Good for them. Well, but what, what are we not pushing back? We're not pushing back at what we don't fully understand. The COVID crisis, it wasn't a crisis, it wasn't a pandemic, it wasn't an epidemic, but it was a manufactured crisis to which people made hundreds of billions of dollars and they got away with it, at least up to this point. Professor Brett Weinstein is being interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Now Weinstein and his wife, both evolutionary biologists, lost their position because people from an outside campus came on to their campus, they didn't attend any classes there, and they wanted to see Brett Weinstein fired because he was the most liberal professor there, but evidently not woke enough. His own students, mainly minorities, defended him. It didn't matter. They threatened him. And so finally, even though he and his wife had had tenure positions, they were fired. Then the president of the United States, uh, president of the university, had to leave because then the protester didn't want him in there either. All someone had to say in power was, go away, you have no power here, and you're stupid. But they didn't. Now he has spent the last four years trying to understand what he didn't understand in his elite academic environment, the real world. But then he really got involved in looking at the science behind AIDS, or excuse me, behind COVID. And so Tucker said to him, because he's not easy to listen to, I do not like listening to Brett Weinstein or his wife. They engage in word salads, as if every question to them is, about a, is going to be a rhetorical statement to their students in a class. But he does say this, please listen to what he's saying because he is accurate. He's actually understating how many people died from the COVID vaccines. Let's go to the clip. But the downside for pharma, and of course for the rest of us, is that if you roll out a harmful product evading the conventional safety screens, you're gonna hurt a lot of people. And then what? So just first part of the question, what do you think we're gonna see in terms of a, 
a death toll and injury toll from this vaccine, so-called? Um, a lot has gone into preventing us from answering that question, and some very dedicated people have done uh, some very high-quality work, and uh, the numbers are staggering. Now, I'm hesitant to say what I think the toll might be because this is not my area of expertise, and um, I would leave it to others. I would say John Campbell would be an excellent source to look at. There's some new material out of New Zealand, which is jaw-dropping. I haven't had time to look at it in depth, so I'm a little um, concerned about putting my weight on the ice. But um, let's say here's here's what we here's what we know. Um, Joseph Freeman and his colleagues, including Peter Doshi, did a uh, an evaluation of Pfizer's own safety data from its safety trials. These trials were absurdly short. In fact, Pfizer only allowed one month before it vaccinated its controls and made it impossible to detect uh, further harms. And what they found was a one in 800 rate of serious adverse event. This is not minor stuff. This is serious harm to health. One in 800 per shot. That's not per person. That's per shot. One in 800 rate, which in one month, that suggests um, a very uh, a very high mortality risk. And in fact, we saw mortality in the, in the safety trials. Um, what happens over the long term, we've certainly seen such a range of pathologies that have crippling effects on people's health that um, I shudder to think how many people have actually. So I'm not a math genius, but one in 800 shots times billions is, you know, a lot of people. Yep. Um, there was uh, a press, I was recently at a conference uh, in Romania on the COVID crisis. And so there was a lot of work trying to unpack what we actually understand. And I saw a credible estimate of something like 17 million deaths uh, globally. From Okay. Listen again. 17 million deaths from the vaccines. And that is a conservative estimate and does not take into account everyone who only got one shot and may or may not develop myocarditis, which may take years to manifest into a heart attack. But you speed that process up with every single dose. And some people have had as many as 10 doses and continue to get COVID, including long COVID. But beyond that, once your heart is damaged, if you really stress it like a young athlete, you could just drop dead. And what have we seen? 1,800% deaths in young athletes who have no, no comorbidities. They are not supposed to die, and they don't. How many people do you know going up in high school who are athletes died? Unless maybe training with all the uh, gear on in the month of August on the football team might have a heat stroke and die. No one died where I grew up. I grew up in the, went to the number one largest high school in West Virginia, uh, 3,500 students. No one died. No one. No one had DD, ADHD. No one had autism. I see. Was it undiagnosed? Then we would have manifested later in adults, and we didn't. No, this is the vaccines. So now, for those of you who took the vaccine, we have good quality information of how to reverse much of the damage done by the body creating spike proteins. Oh, by the way, in the extended interview, there's a discussion of how long does that body create in all the different cells the spike protein? We don't know. Someone who was monitoring for two months found it was still creating spike protein at two months. Another person at nine months but wasn't the vaccine supposed to stay in the deltoid muscle in your arm, your upper arm? Yes. But then it didn't? No, it didn't. And didn't a lot of people go against basic um, medical and nursing standards when you do a, a vaccine? You push in a little tiny bit, and then you pull back to see if you draw blood back into the syringe. And if you do, you find another space because that means you're in the vein. You're in a vein that can take the vaccine immediately to every cell in your body. 
And so the FDA said, you don't have to do that? That's correct. That was insane. So how many people got the vaccine directly into the vein, immediately into the circulation? Now that meant then that based upon the lipid nanocapsule, that that vaccine now could get into your brain cells, past the blood-brain barrier, into your testes, into your ovaries, into your heart and lungs. So do you want a vaccine whose entire intent is to create an antigen in your body, to create a spike protein in your body, in the cells, on the ACE receptors? No, of course not. Why in the world would any human being, including the idiots who run our health agencies who don't know a damn thing about health or science, why would they say, it's not a bad idea if you have the uh, spike protein growing in your heart, growing in your brain, in your ovaries? Yeah, it is. That's why minimally you have 16 million dead, according to them. So everything they told you about the vaccine is a lie. That's why if you have not downloaded uh, Tuesday night's Progressive Commentary Hour, because they're making statements under oath, some of the finest scientists, all orthodox, all pro-vaccine, on this topic. Now they have 3,500 plus articles post-vaccine to support that no one should ever have gotten this vaccine. That means it's a crime against humanity. But did the people who manufactured it, who dispersed it, did they know this would be this dangerous? Absolutely. They hid this. In fact, they hid it with the complete support and approval of the most corrupt little garbage agency in the government. And that's kind of hard to decide which government agency is the most corrupt. And that's the FDA. The FDA petitioned the federal court not to release the findings to the public for 75 years when everyone would be dead. Just like the tobacco industry. The FDA knew it was addictive. The nicotine was addictive. And they chose not to share that. My God. And yet the average person, oh, I'm pro-vaccine. I listen to Howard Stern and whatever Howard Stern says and Jimmy Kimball and these other people. They're right. No, they're not right. And they're irresponsible. They have a right to their opinion. Absolutely. And you have a right to listen to them no matter how sophomoric you are and they are. A nice uh, compatibility. But they're not scientists. They're not public health officials. They're not frontline doctors. And those who did tell the truth were all punished, demeaned. So all the people that were propagandist for this should be held accountable. But they won't be. That's the way our society works. You fell upwards in our society today. Just want to share that with you because there's a lot more coming and you're not going to like any of it. But the good news is, at least for this audience, because those people that are those people that are monotheists, they're not going to do anything to detox of their body that could save their life, even if it was given to them free. That's how cult-like they are. And that's about half of Americans. Let's go to another clip. You've been hearing about people not speaking out except young people. Everyone else afraid to speak out, to challenge uh, the way this war in Israel is being handled. Well, there are people speaking out. And there's three people in particular who are speaking out. Christine Anderson from Germany, representing uh, Germany in the European Union, and Clara Daly. But I want you to hear three people, all members of, uh, this is Mike Wallace, and Mick Wallace, and Mick is, <laughs> he's a character, but he tells the truth. So we're going to hear from two back-to-back. We're going to hear from Mick Wallace from Ireland in the European Union, and we're going to hear from Claire Daly from Ireland in the European Union. They are speaking out. But who in our Congress has the courage to do this? No one. Not a single member of Congress. Not one can stand up and say what these people have said with this kind of determinist attitude. Let's hear what they have to say. A hundred days of international inaction, 
100 days of double standards, 100 days of Israel's genocide against the Palestinians, over 24,000 innocent civilians dead, over 10,000 of them children, many thousands still under the rubble. And you are wondering if this is a genocide? Almost 2 million displaced and still being bombed. Hospitals, churches, mosques, bakeries, apartments, bombed. And you're still wondering if this is a genocide? And not one EU country stood by South Africa. Germany is said to have committed the first genocide of the 21st of the 20th century in Namibia. Namibia's president has denounced Berlin's shocking decision to reject South Africa's indictment. What's happened to Germany? I've, I've admired Germany most of my life. They're not, now they've lost the plot. They've been the cheerleaders for fueling the war in Ukraine at great cost to their own economy. And now they're the cheerleaders of the settler colonial Zionist project and supporting a genocide. Has Germany learned nothing from its own history? President, despite the catastrophic death toll it has inflicted, Israel is losing on the ground and in the court of public opinion. There's no way that this ends that doesn't leave Israel a pariah state with occupation and apartheid on borrowed time, and they know it. So they're doing everything they can. Desperate acts of aggression to provoke a wider conflict with Lebanon, with Iran, with anybody to draw in the US, to save them from the consequences of their own actions. And as Yemen shows, Butcher Biden is reporting for duty. With Europe's proud genocide by his side, they are the ones who have enabled the continuation of Israeli terror. Without them, it would already be over. So take note, Butcher Biden. The ancestors of the Ireland that you claim to be from disown you. Keep our country out of your mouth. And as for von der Leyen and genocidal Germany with your words and deeds supporting Israel in the ICJ, not in our name. The people of Europe stand with Palestine and with South Africa. All right. She just mentioned a President von, uh, von der Leyen. That's L-A-Y-E-N. Here's what she had to say yesterday at Davos. Listen carefully. They want to support Ukraine. They want to support Israel. But they also want to support controlling disinformation. And they want to work together with the European Union on this topic. So they're going to say, you're going to hear her in this two-minute clip at Davos to all these 3,000 megalomaniac, self-entitled brats who don't have the common sense or wit to understand their own proclivities of destruction. Here's what she has to say. And mind you, the most important thing she's saying is, we, the unelected, need to control everyone else so that a Gary Nall or Chris Hedges or Abby Martin or Max Blumenthal or Aramonte, you won't listen to them because the only thing they share is misinformation and disinformation. And we're going to control that because we control, well, we control everything because BlackRock, the founder, is on our board. He's the most powerful financial person in the world. Controls, what, $20 trillion? And then Vanguard and all the others. So we control the media. We own the media. So we own everything. And we can control everything. We can control every governmental agency. We own the corporations, the stocks in the corporations, such as in the banking industry. So who do we bail out? We bailed out Wall Street and the banks that were so mismanaged by such idiots that uh, we didn't give the average American a penny, but the average American that didn't get a penny has to pay money for those trillions of dollars because it all comes from them. The government, the government takes tax dollars and gives to Wall Street. But was there a protest? Did the average person wake up one day and say, I'm having a hard time paying this interest on my payday loan of 500% or my credit card at 22%? Maybe the government will help me. No, the government can't stand you. The problem is not the government. The problem is not these people who own BlackRock and, or at Davos. The problem is you. You're the problem. You just don't understand it. Because you have allowed these people to treat you, unless you're suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, everything they do is against you. They've done nothing for you. They own the banks, therefore they bail them out. 
They own major corporations. That's why they bailed out General Motors. And they bailed out uh, the big insurance companies. They bailed out, um, they bailed out, uh, oh, let's see, they bailed out the, they gave subsidies to the uh, big agricultural chemi- uh, and chemical companies. They protected the chem- chemical companies from litigation. They also controlled the science. They controlled the governmental agencies that give out billions of dollars a year. They control the magazines. They control the news media that report on this. So if you control big pharma, they do. Banks, they do. Just, but they do it in a clever way. They buy the majority of shares to get them on the board that makes them a policymaker and therefore in control. So the big finance, they control. Uh, big pharma, they control. Big food production, they control. Uh, the uh, the major insurance companies, they control. So when you control all these, plus the military-industrial complex and the spy complex, you control the seven major groups that control our lives. And that's why everything is always to their benefit and always to our detriment. So now let's hear what she has to say in her own words, but you've got to understand which part of what she's saying is really what is most important. It's when she talks about disinformation and misinformation because everything that Brett Weinstein just said, about 16 million dead, who controls the vaccine companies, making companies? They do. Who controls DARPA and the military-industrial complex? They do. Hmm. All right. Why do you think that every time there is a question about public health, one of their experts go on television, but not one of us? We're never invited because we're the so-called disinformation. In fact, all disinformation is coming from them, but they want to control it to make sure only their disinformation gets out there and our honest information is repressed. And if you can't figure that out, <laughs> then you shouldn't be listening to this radio program. Let's go to the clip. Yeah, Klaus. Your um, annual global risk report makes for a stunning and sobering read. For the global business community, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate. It is disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization within our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges we are facing. Changes in our climate and our geopolitical climate. Shifts in our demography and in our technology. Spiraling regional conflicts and intensified geopolitical competition and their impacts on supply chains. The sobering reality is that we are once again competing more intensely across countries than we have in several decades. And this makes the theme of this year's Davos meeting even more relevant, rebuilding trust. This is not a time for conflicts or polarization. This is a time to build trust. This is a time to drive global collaboration more than ever before. This requires immediate. So she, she told you that she couldn't have been more honest. Well, I commend her for her honesty. But remind you, she was talking with 3,000 sycophants, rich, entitled, spoiled brats. Bill Gates, all of them. People are not elected anything, but look at the power they have over you. So you're sitting like you have no power. Of course you have no power because you haven't used it. Maybe I missed the demonstrations you all participated in in 2008 when everyone was bailed out who was in that Davos group, but no one who's listening to this radio program or any other radio program in the United States. So the average person, the person that makes the food that has served Davos and the suits of clothes and the cars, the actual mechanics of life, these people are never respected. 
only used. And now they're bragging also as of today, as of this morning, that now artificial intelligence in the immediate future, meaning today, is going to take 60% of your jobs away. And you think, oh, that sounds pretty good, Gary. Uh, well, I've got more time to watch the Cardassians or uh, the bling out of uh, Dubai. Yeah, I guess you do. Or you can moan about how you're a victim because you can't pay your bills. Or you're sick. Huh. Who owns the companies that caused you to eat the wrong foods, drink the wrong beverages? Davos. And the World Economic Forum. And the Council on Foreign Relations. And the Bilderberg Group. And the Trilateral Commission. Yeah, they're all in that group together. They control everything. But you didn't see a single demonstration in the United States, not in a single city, not nationally, against bailing out people instead of bailing out themselves. Nor did you see demonstration yet in the United States, though you did in Berlin, against COVID, because people were too afraid, because they didn't want to reach outside of their comfort zone at the intellectual or practical level to see what other information might challenge the existing status quo. And that's how they keep getting away with it. That's why I say we're the problem, until we take back our rights to demand only that which is positive. And one of the presidential candidates, and I'm not getting into that, but the one who endorsed Trump, said we could reduce the government by 75% and it would be better. How about 80% and you would do much better and take all the people, close down all the major agencies and start from scratch because none of them serve our interest. But we won't do that. We won't change anything. Because we, as individuals, feel helpless. Because we think we're helpless. Our whole mindset is one based upon scarcity. If only I were stronger, had more courage, if only I had more knowledge. Well, are you seeking that knowledge? Are you seeking to uh, become a part of a support system that can challenge this? Didn't you see the parents challenging local school boards? Yeah, but that's them. You know, they're Italian and they're going to say their mind. No, they're not just Italian saying their mind. They're human beings. They're parents who don't want their children indoctrinated with pornography and other bad issues. So find the courage, and many of you have. Look, 4,000 of you came up to, mind you, I had people come from way out Long Island. So it was a three-hour trip to get up to Kingston and then three hours back, and then you were there for four hours. A whole day spent. You didn't have to come. You chose to come. I honor that. That's special. That shows you're willing to get out of your comfort zone, to join a cause, and hear the people who are trying to bring that information, coalesce it into a peace movement together. You heard her say, didn't she say, exactly she said, you know, our biggest problem is not global warming. Well, tell that to the millions of people adversely affected. And it's not wars. Why don't you tell the average Ukrainian citizen or the average Palestinian that? Or how about the people in Niger or Nigeria in other countries where war is a big deal? So all the things that really matter, they're not interested. They just want to control disinformation, which means anything that challenges their views. There's one more person going to challenge their views, and that's Telsey Gabbard. Telsey spoke out. I'm not quite sure which direction Telsey's going with this and why, but what she says is accurate. Let's hear this short clip. Biden's inauguration speech, he promised to bring our country together, to be a president for all Americans, no matter who they voted for. And he promised to get us closer to peace. He has done the exact opposite on all fronts. He has torn our country apart, targeting anyone who didn't vote for him or dares to challenge his administration. He's racializing everything, turning Americans against each other and putting us in a position where the world is on fire. We are on the brink of multiple wars and closer to nuclear catastrophe than ever before. These are just a few reasons why I left the Democratic Party. I could no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness.
The party that I joined over 20 years ago, which was once a party that largely stood up for free speech, that stood up for working people in this country, that stood up for civil liberties, is gone. The bottom line is this, the political party that is actively undermining our constitutional freedoms cannot be trusted, and we, the people, cannot allow them to remain in power. President Biden's inauguration. Good. I agree with that. We're going to say goodbye to WBI. Now, to finish off, I want to share a brand new beginning of the year uh, package with you. And this is important because I start off with what I consider the most important antioxidant ever created. You won't find anything else out like uh, in this amount, in this quality, because every single item I select was based upon my review of the scientific literature. Remember, the more antioxidants that you have floating in your blood, the more those antioxidants trap and neutralize free radicals, which then go on, if you don't do that, to damage cells. The more damage you have to a cell, the older you are, the more difficult it is for that cell to recover, and frequently they go through a programmed cell death, and uh, in which case you age prematurely, that organ ages, and you die faster. So through our healthy diet, by and then proper supplementation, you want to flood the body with antioxidants, taking them throughout the day. Here's what's in my super antioxidant, and this is what you get. And these are vegan capsules. You're getting vitamin A. You're getting vitamin D3. And by the way, and uh, you're also uh, getting mixed carotenoids from algae. And uh, you're getting vitamin C, uh, magnesium ascorbate, and a calcium uh, ascorbyl pal palmitate, which is fat-soluble fat vitamin C. You're getting vitamin E, D-alpha-tocopherol, and tocotrienols, you get them vitamin B6, and zinc, and selenium, and copper, and 300 milligrams of bioflavonoids, and Chinese green tea, 200 milligrams, and grape skin extract, 150 milligrams, and L-carnosine, 100 milligrams, and L-cysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, taurine, uh, you're, you're, you're getting astaxanthin, and bilberry extract, and uh, broccoli stem, cabbage and carrot root, licorice root, lutein complex, uh, lycopene, milk thistle, N-acetylcysteine, quercetin, uh, red wine concentrate, rutin, superoxide dismutase, uh, coenzyme Q10, glutathione, reduced glutathione, bromelain, raspberry leaf powder, rosemary leaf powder, pine bark extract, there's nothing like this. So if you really care about your health, you want to trap as many free radicals as possible because they, that also leads to inflammation. This is it. You take one capsule, vegan capsule in the morning, you take one in the afternoon, you take one in the early evening, and you've done yourself an enormous amount of good. But then at the same time, I produced what I'm aware of, and maybe you know better, uh, look for it in the marketplace, see if you can find it. This is an all-natural vitamin C. Now, I take two types of vitamin C every day. I take the super potent high-dose one, and uh, that's my supremacy. Then I take the supremacy extra, where there's no ascorbic acid, but the actual vitamin C, which is 800 milligrams per serving, but more importantly, there's 11,000 ORAC units, 11,000 ORAC units per serving. Kakadu plum, Amla berries, acerola cherries, camu, grapeseed, green tea, pomegranate, and all these other nutrients, they're all in there. So this is the best all-natural vitamin C that I know of ever created. So I take it in the morning, afternoon, and evening. I take my Supremacy Extra in the morning, afternoon, and evening. And that really potentized my body. And to cap it all off, is something I think a lot of people in this audience need. It's a documentary. It's called I'm Not Finished Yet. And it's for everyone in life who wakes up one day and realizes they're going to break the habits of just another day, another dollar, another humdrum, another series of rituals. You want to bring something more magnanimous, more important back into your life. And this is a documentary that motivates you to do that. I'm in it, but a lot of other people are as well. The whole package is... Uh, Let's see, it's $170. You're only paying $85. You're saving 
$85, and you're, that's 50% off. So you call this number and you get this package because everyone in this audience should use it no matter what else you're doing because these are uniqueness. 877-627-5065. 877-627-5065. You can order it online directly by going to Gary's, uh, what is it, Gary's Vitamin something. Uh, I don't go there, so I'm not even aware. That, but just call the number and or call Neil in the Vitamin Closet or go visit him if you live in the neighborhood on Monday to Saturday, noon to 8 at 646-926-5430. That's it for today, everyone. Please share the information if you found it of value. Have a nice day.